dive into the message today, um, last week I asked you to pray for our fall festival, uh, that we'd have a chance to plant a lot of seeds. We did. Uh, we had over 500 people at Bishopville. We had 1,200 at Pacala, uh, twice what they had last year. And uh, we had somewhere between four and 5,000 here at Loring Mill, which is a lot of folks, a lot of seeds. So I want to ask you now, if you will, please pray for the seeds we sow, that they'll bear much fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to love on this community. I, I know that there were a lot of people who came just for the candy and just to keep their kids occupied for a couple of hours. But I pray that they would have discovered a church of grace and that you're a God of love. And I pray, Father, that, that they would be drawn to Jesus and that you give us a chance to just keep telling the story of Jesus. I pray, Father, for many to take that next step because this world is so dark and we cannot do it without you. Now bless us as we open your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're in a series called I Believe. The reason we're doing this series is because we've all heard people say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. And yet we know that's not true. Right now, in the Middle East, Hamas believes that the land of Palestine belongs to them and Israel believes the land of Palestine belongs to them. And what you believe apparently matters so much that people are willing to go to war about it and die for it. So what you believe really does matter. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm really glad that you're here. And I hope you'll listen to all of these messages because we're talking about key beliefs that Jesus followers have and why they matter to us. And today we're going to talk about the Bible. I believe the Bible. Now, a bit of background for you. Uh, the Bible, as you know, consists of 66 books or 66 separate parts that were written by different authors over a span of about 1,500 years. It's divided into two parts. There's the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, and that is the book that the Jews would recognize as Scripture. It runs from Genesis to Malachi. And then there's the New Testament, which contains the story of Jesus and the beginning of his church. Uh, early followers of Jesus believe the Old Testament was the inspired Word of God, that it was there for teaching them who God was and how God operates, how God thinks. The New Testament started out with the four Gospels and the writings of Paul by about 100 AD, in other words, about 70 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, those four Gospels and the epistles of Paul were considered inspired, they were considered authoritative. And then later, uh, probably within the next 20, 30 years, the books of James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, Jude, uh, Revelation, uh, they were considered inspired. So that by the year 200 AD, the New Testament as we have it today was considered by early Jesus followers to be the inspired, authoritative Word of God. Now, what do we mean when we say inspired and authoritative? Early Christians looked at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they said, this is not just man's wisdom. These words came from God, and because they have a supernatural origin, we believe they have authority in our lives. And that was the way Christians pretty much believed for about 1,600 years. In the late 1600s and in the early 1700s, 
A new philosophy begins in Europe. It's called rationalism. Rationalism, as you might infer from the name, believed that everything had a rational explanation, that there was no such thing as the supernatural. Now, rationalism took hold, and people began to look at the Bible and say, well, okay, the Bible then is just a book like any other book. And this is kind of where we are today. There are some people, maybe some of you, who say, you know, the the Bible's a helpful book, it's got a lot of wisdom, but I'm not sure that it really has a supernatural origin. And some of you might say, well, the Bible is a book of great literature. I mean, there's amazing stories in there like Jonah and the great fish, but I don't think that really happened. I'm not sure it's authoritative. I'm not sure the Bible can be trusted to tell me how to live. So today, I wanna tell you why I believe the Bible. And there are three reasons. The first reason I believe the Bible is because of the eyewitness factor. What I call the eyewitness factor. Now, if you have a Bible with you today, would you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. The book of 2 Peter was written by, anybody want to take a guess, wild guess? Peter. You're right, you're right. It was written by Peter. And when Peter wrote this, he's telling us, I was an eyewitness to the things that occurred. Let's look starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories, in Greek by the word, the word is mythos, myth, when we, were, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter is telling us, I was there. James and John and I went up the mountain with Jesus. We now call that the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw Jesus transfigured. What does that mean? It means they saw Jesus in all of his heavenly glory. He was brilliant, radiant. They saw Moses and Elijah there with him. Moses and Elijah, dead. Or at least not on earth. They had come down from heaven. And then there's this voice from heaven. Do you think you would remember a voice from heaven? Yeah, I think so. And, and this voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And just in case we miss it, verse 18, Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven. How do we know Peter didn't make this whole story up? Peter dies in 67 or 68 AD. James had already died. John was still living. Anybody who doubted Peter's story could have written to John in Ephesus and said, did this really happen? And guess what John would have said? Yep, I was there. I heard the voice. I saw this happen. And let me tell you something real interesting. This story appears three other places in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
Matthew. How did Matthew know this story? Jesus told Peter, James, and John, going down the mountain, don't tell anybody. So they have to live with this. You know, what happened up on the mountain, guys? We can't tell you. But after Jesus is resurrected, they can tell the story. I can imagine that during that, that span of time, that time between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, they covered a lot of this ground. And the guys say, hey, can you finally tell us what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? And they go, Jesus, can we tell? Yeah, you can tell. And they tell it. And Jesus is going, yeah, yeah, I was there. It was pretty cool, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know if Jesus said that actually in those words, but that's what I would have said if I were Jesus. And so the, this, Matthew would have heard this story from Peter, James, and John, and he wrote it down. Mark got his material from Peter. And so when Peter told the story, Mark was writing it down. Luke, who carefully investigated these things, chapter one of Luke, he tells the story because he had gotten it from these eyewitnesses. Four times the story is told in the New Testament and it's told the same way with the same words coming from God. What are the chances that four authors would make up the same story? Anybody want to bet on that? Now, not all of the Bible is based on eyewitness. Some of the Bible comes to us as it was passed down by what we call the oral tradition. In other words, stories would have been passed down from generation to generation, and then they were finally written down. Now, some scholars hear this and they go, well, that can't, no, that, that doesn't work. The stories would have been corrupted. I'm going to show you how that can actually work. About 1995, I interviewed my Aunt Weta to get some Smith family history. She told me this story. She had heard it from her father. And the story was that my great-grandfather was going to town, and on his way to town, keep in mind, town is a store and a post office. He's got to ride his horse into town. Now, this is all happening about 1881, somewhere between 1881 and 1885. So he's got to ride his horse into town, and as he is leaving the homestead there, he looks and he sees that the hogs have gotten out of the hog pen. And so he calls his, calls his 11 children together, and he says, when I come back from town, I expect those hogs to be taken care of and not get out of that hog pen anymore. And then he rides on to town. He comes back from town. It's about dusk. Remember, he's on horseback. It takes a long time to get to town and back. He comes back, it's about dusk, and as he comes down the road to the homestead, which is still where my family has a home, there is the hog pen, there is the fence, and 25 hog carcasses that have been butchered are hanging on the fence. Those hogs would never get out again. I mean, that's a great story. You just got to admit that's a great story. I told you that story happened about 1881, 1885. That means that story today is 142 years old. I'm going to tell that story to my grandson. My grandson was born in 2020. He will probably live to 20 or uh, 2,100. Let that just blow your mind. Now, my grandson is going to tell that story to his children. 
And you say, how do you know he will? Because I'm going to put it in my will. <laughs> if you don't tell the story to your children, you don't get anything. Okay. Let's say his children live 80 years. That takes us to 2,180. By then, that story will be 300 years old. And I bet it gets told consistently all through history. Moses actually was an eyewitness to most of the events in Exodus. We know that Isaiah and the other prophets wrote in real time. Daniel was writing as events occurred. There's not enough time for the Gospels to have been myth. C.S. Lewis, apart from being a great Christian writer, was also an expert on ancient myths. And he pointed to what is known as the recollective memory, which is a literary technical term, meaning you can tell the difference between a story that's made up and a story that really happened. Now, I'm going to take you down literary criticism, so everybody just hang on real tight, okay? The first modern novel that we know of that had made-up story with complex elements is Don Quixote. You remember this? Some of it, some of people, you know, you're going to hear some biased English professor say that no, 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 it's the Canterbury Tales, but no, it's actually Don Quixote. Okay. So that means that if the Bible is made up, it has to be 1,400 years ahead of its time in developing an unknown literary form. The Bible does not contain mythic elements. It reads like factual narrative. Factual narrative always puts things in the story that are irrelevant details. Because when you are in hyper-reality, you remember the detail of things. The day my mother died, I'll never forget walking in the room and seeing her. She's in the bed, she's already passed away, and the nurses have thoughtfully put in a purple uh, daisy that's plastic in her hands, as if right before mama died, she'd reached out and grabbed a fake flower. Why does my mind remember that? Because it's hyper-reality. This is my mom. She's just passed away. Why does Peter tell Mark, oh, by the way, we were in this boat and we thought we were all going to die. The storm was like nothing I had ever seen and Jesus was asleep on a cushion. Why does he add cushion? It's irrelevant to the story, except it's a moment of hyper-reality. I trust the Bible because of the eyewitness factor. Now, you say, but Clay, what about the supernatural? What about the supernatural part? Here's something I want you to remember, and we're taking a while on this because it's important. Rationalism fails, and students, listen to this. You need to remember this always. Rationalism fails as a philosophy because it cannot explain the unexplainable. We'll say it again. Rationalism fails as a philosophy because it does not explain the unexplainable. Rationalism postulates that everything is explainable. But let's go to the Big Bang Theory. Not the show, the actual theory. All right, the Big Bang Theory. You all know about the Big Bang Theory, right? There was dense matter. Where'd the matter come from? Okay, see, 
Rationalism will tell you we don't know the answer. Science has to confess we don't know the answer. The only answer can be a supernatural explanation. It comes from God. Now, let's go one deeper. This is even better. Physics, and you should pay attention to physics. Physics tells us that in the Big Bang, a subatomic particle called a quark, and that's just a fun word, isn't it? Quark. The first movement within that dense matter was a quark that began to move, and it bounced another quark, and that starts the Big Bang explosion. Who moved the first quark? Science will tell you we don't know. You cannot explain it by evolutionary theory. It's a supernatural event. It is beyond explanation. That is why we must make room in our worldview for supernatural events. Now, now think with me. You, you actually understand this, right? God being the creator, can he not interrupt creation and modify it any way he wants at any time he wants? Well, sure, every guy who's ever built a bookcase knows this. If you've ever built a bookcase, you start out with a plan and you've got some of it going and you look at it and you go, this isn't working. So what do you do? You interrupt what you are creating. You drive out a few nails, you get it more level, you do it again. And then when it's all put together, your wife comes out and looks at it and says, it kind of leans. And then what do you do? You tell her to go see the eye. No, you don't do that. Okay, what I'm trying to drive at is God being the creator, he can do whatever he wishes with his creation. It's actually the best explanation for the miracle stories we see in the Bible. I believe in the Bible because of eyewitness testimony. Now, let's push on quickly. I believe the Bible because of Jesus. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter is speaking of the prophets, the Old Testament. And he says, we can rely on them because there is a lamp. And three times he's going to use this image of light There is a lamp shining in a dark place, the day dawning, and the morning star. All three are references to Jesus. And so Peter is telling us, read the scripture through the lens of Jesus. Two ways that this works. First of all, scholars disagree about how many prophecies there are in the Old Testament about Jesus. Some scholars say there's 300. Some scholars say there's 400. I haven't actually counted myself. All of them are fulfilled in Jesus. What are the odds that one man can fulfill all those prophecies? So let's just take the top 48. Let's take the top 48. Top 48 prophecies. The mathematical probability that one person could fulfill 48 prophecies is 10 to the 157th power. Now, we couldn't make this actually look right in the program that we use to do this. So just put that 10 there and then raise that 157 up to that little fine print that goes up above the number that you didn't pay attention to when you were taking math. And just remember that means 10 with 157 zeros behind it. That's bigger than the national debt. 
and think with me, that's the odds that one man could fulfill all those prophecies. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and say that was all random. Peter says, pay attention to these prophecies. Look at them through the lens of Jesus. But that's not all he's saying. He's saying and acknowledging that, hey, there's some parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. Look at them through the lens of Jesus. I know some of you struggle to believe the Bible because of stuff in the Old Testament or what we call the Old Testament. You read the stories of the wars. You read the stories of genocide. And you ask, how could God allow this to be done? How could God even order this to be done? And I can only offer you a partial explanation that God was working through the wars of Israel to accomplish his will. And I can also tell you when I look at the Bible through the lens of, or when I look at those stories through the lens of Jesus, I remember that God's ultimate mission in Jesus Christ is to end all wars. And that mission's not complete. So Tim Keller put it this way. This is real important. Clue into this. Think of the Bible as a swimming pool. The deep end is Jesus. The deep end is Jesus. It's the gospel. And so the heart of the gospel is, and we've talked about this in a previous message series, that Jesus was sent by God. That fact was attested by the mighty works he did. He was crucified by God's plan for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose again the third day, repent and believe. That's the gospel. Some people think, well, I've got to understand the whole Bible before I can become a Christian. No, 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 no. I've been studying this book my whole life. I don't understand it all yet. And so if you have to understand it all before you have a relationship with God, you really have got it mixed up. And think about this makes so much sense. How many of you understood everything about your spouse when you got married? How many of you understand less about your spouse now than when you got, that's a different story. Here's the point. You don't have to understand everything to have a relationship. What you have to do is you have to have a starting place. And so if all these things in the shallow end, like the wars in the Old Testament, or about how Jesus comes back, or exactly how does salvation and atonement work, dive into the deep end of the gospel, which is there is a God who loves you and who wants you to be his child. Dive into that end. I believe in the Bible because it's inspired. This is how Peter winds up this section in verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These verses tell us the Bible is a supernatural book. They make plain that the Holy Spirit spoke to Isaiah and Amos and David and Daniel and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter and James. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How did the Holy Spirit inspire these men to write the Bible? Any way he wanted to. Been way too many divisions in Christianity. People argue about how God had to do it this way. (laughs) Folks, God inspires any way he wants to. 
But you can see the personality. Paul is different than John. He writes different. David writes very different than Isaiah. You can see that the Holy Spirit carried these men along. Now, I believe the Bible is inspired for two reasons. First, when I apply the countercultural teachings of the Bible to my life, my life gets better. The Bible teaches us things that no other world religion teaches. It contains the teaching of Jesus. So, for example, when Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, it's not a suggestion. There's authority there. And when I actually listen to Jesus say, love your enemies, and I do that, my life gets better. See, love, if I hate my enemy, I'm just carrying around this load of bitterness. I'm carrying around this load of hate, and it's heavy, and I get weighed down. And pretty soon, I'm focused on the load on my back instead of how I'm living my life. But if I will let that go and say, that belongs to God, I'm going to love that person. Even if it doesn't come naturally, my life gets better. I'm not carrying that heavy weight anymore. I can stand up straight. I can focus on where God wants me to go. My life gets better when I live by this book. That's proof of its supernatural origin. The second reason I believe the Bible is inspired is very personal. Uh, you may know that I have a degree in, I have a PhD degree, a doctor of philosophy degree in Old Testament. I spent six years studying the Old Testament and my major focus was in the book of Job. Uh, my dissertation is the function of chapters 29 through 31 in the book of Job. My uh, father-in-law kept my dissertation by his bedside for a number of years. And I was really touched. And I said, Floyd, I'm just really touched that that you keep my dissertation there. He said, yeah, anytime I have trouble sleeping, I read it. <laughs> Thanks, pops. I spent 18 months of my life with 92 verses in the Bible. And I can't tell you when or exactly how, but after spending those months with those verses, I became more convinced than ever that the words I read the sentences, the way they were constructed, the way the phrases were put together, the way the poetry unfolded, I was convinced I was in the presence of a mind that was not human. I had studied enough to know what great human literature looked like, and I became convinced this was beyond great human literature. I have been accused of not believing the Bible. I've been accused by some people of not teaching the Bible. Don't waste your time on social media looking it up. I just want you to know that hurts. And it makes me mad. Because I have served as a pastor for 40 years, and in 40 years I have done my best to teach this word as I understand it, led by the Holy Spirit. And the longer I do this, the more I'm convinced. You can't put the Bible in a box. The Bible is not a system of theology. It's this incredible revelation of God to tell us about who he is. And you don't just get who God is by following an outline. That's why God gives us stories and poetry. And yes, some of Paul reads like an outline, but Paul's writing a lot of his letters to say, this is the way you ought to behave and this is why. You, you see, I think too many people want to put the Bible in a box so it doesn't challenge them. 
Too many people want to say, okay, this is, this is the way the Bible ought to go, and it doesn't, it won't, it'll, it'll fit within my little box, my little theology. If you're reading the Bible and it doesn't bother you, you're not reading it correctly. The Bible ought to trouble you. It ought to challenge your worldview. It challenges my worldview every day. We never bend Scripture to fit us. We bend to fit Scripture. I believe it's the Word of God. Now, you say, okay, so what? Believing in the Bible means I accept its authority. When Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. What's the difference between a command and a suggestion? If your boss gives you a command and you treat it as a suggestion, what's going to happen? Exactly. Believing the Bible means I ask the Holy Spirit to guide me. Now think with me, think with me. Doesn't it make sense if the Holy Spirit inspired these words that I asked the Holy Spirit to help me interpret the words I'm reading? And so sometimes when I read the Bible and I come to a part I don't understand, I pause and I say, Heavenly Father, would you let the Holy Spirit actually help me understand this? Now I want to tell you something. Not every passage speaks to me every time. There are days when I read my Bible and I finish it and I go, I didn't get anything out of this today, Lord. I just didn't. Maybe I wasn't in the right place or maybe, I don't know, maybe it wasn't time for me to read that passage, but that never happens two days in a row. Never. I love the U version to read it on my phone uh, because I can highlight everything. And that way I don't mess up all the little thin pages in the print Bible. Uh, this week I was reading um, my Bible. I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and I came to verse 18, last verse in the chapter. It says, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. That really spoke to me. Because, and I know this is so petty of me, but I have, I have friends who are about my age and we're in ministry together, and I see what they do, and I see how they promote themselves, and I want to go, God, why are they doing so well, and why am I not doing that? Why can't I be on national TV? Don't answer that. And I read that verse, and then I realized the most important thing is not whether you're on TV and not whether people are saying how smart you are out there. It's what God says about you that's most important. And I just think, how much better would my life be if I didn't live in competition with everybody else, and especially not with everybody's highlight reel on Facebook or Instagram or whatever is the next new thing? Believing the Bible means I read it. I read my Bible just about every day. Not every day. I admit I skip some days. Uh, find a time that works for you to read the Bible. I used to read my Bible first thing in the morning. As I've gotten older, that's harder to do. I, I just, I don't have enough, there's not enough caffeine to wake me up to read the Bible. I know you say, well, you haven't tried Starbucks. I know, there's a reason for that. Um, right now, I find reading the Bible really works for me at night, right before I go to bed. Some people read the Bible at lunchtime. Some people read the Bible uh, when the kids are down for a nap. One of the worst ways to read the Bible is to start in Genesis and try to go all the way through. 
If you're new to reading the Bible, start with Matthew and read the four gospels, then read Paul's epistles, then read the rest of the New Testament, then go to Psalms and Proverbs, read Joshua, Judges, read Genesis, Exodus, feel free to skim the three chapters about the construction of the tabernacle. Uh, they're, they're a little bit, they're really good, but it takes a while to really understand why they're good. So that's okay. Not every part of the Bible is meant to speak to you at this moment. Uh, read Ruth, great love story, one of the greatest love stories of all time. If you're single, you might want to wait a while before you read Song of Solomon. Eventually, work up to reading the Bible in a year. That's a very useful discipline. Uh, we actually have on a table out in the lobby as you leave uh, uh, a plan to read the key chapters of the Bible uh, in the next 13 weeks. I really want to encourage you to take one of those and, and make that your reading plan. Believing in the Bible also means you memorize key verses. Why? Because you need them. You need them. Already today, already today, I have called on our memory verse for the year. Because there's a couple of things going on I feel kind of anxious about. Our memory verse for the year is John 14, 27. Peace, let's say it together. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know why that verse matters so much to me? Because the phrase, don't let your hearts be troubled means don't let your heart be agitated. Don't let your heart be anxious. I don't do well when I'm anxious. I make people around me miserable when I'm anxious. When I have the peace of Christ, my life's a lot better. Lastly, believing the Bible means you actually stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Don't mess this up please. I look at social media and I follow a lot of preachers and teachers and sometimes I just want to scream because they're arguing about the Bible instead of living by the Bible. You see, I can point out everybody's theological flaws from behind the safety of social media, but didn't Jesus tell me they'll know that you're actually my followers if you love one another the way I have loved you? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? What would happen if Christians actually flooded social media with the love of Jesus? Think the world would be better? I guarantee it. So stay focused on Jesus. Now, maybe the Bible's been a block to you. Maybe you're like, okay, I know I'm kind of interested in Jesus. I'd like to follow him, but I just don't know if I can believe everything in the Bible. Let's go back to what Tim Keller said. Dive into that deep end. Dive into that deep end. Dive into the gospel. He's going to make, Jesus will make the Bible clear. Let him be your Savior and Lord. Hey, and if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, I really want to give you a challenge today. You need to read this book. You need to read it regularly. And a lot of times when I do stuff like this, I ask you to bow your head, no one looking around, but I'm not going to do that today. Because I think this is important enough, we just acknowledge. I want to ask you to think about reading the Bible next five days. 
Next five days, every day, read the Bible. Don't have to read the whole thing in five days. Read a chapter. Read a verse. There's so many resources out there. There's no reason you can't do this. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you're willing to make a commitment to the Lord, the next five days, you're going to read the Bible. Next five days, that's all you're making a commitment for. Not asking how much. Next five days, you'll read the Bible. I want you to raise your hand. Good for you. Good for you. Feel good about that. And I want to hear how God speaks to you because I think he will. I believe in the Bible because it is the word of God and it changed my life and it'll change yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for telling us the story of you the story of Jesus. And I pray for anyone who doesn't know Jesus that today they'll take that next step. And I pray, Father, for people who actually are your followers, and yet, God, this is still something that they struggle with. Help to them today to see the value in your word. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.